last night I did a bunch of training for work. Was it security training? Like it was, it was security training and how to treat your coworker training. Uh, I mean, you're supposed to do these doing work because it's part of work. But I was just like, uh, I'm gonna try and do them all tonight instead of doing them during the day. That sounds like a recipe for sadness. It is. You, got, <laughs> you have to take a quiz on these like. Uh, security things or uh not security but just like one was interesting because it was about if someone calls in and personal information how you have to reveal that and no one will ever call me because i'm not tech support it's like this does not relate to me but i guess everyone has to take the same training right you know the secret is for all of those kinds of trainings is you just let you like turn your turn everything on mute let the video run and then you do take the quiz because it's all common sense. This this one was not. I was not. The one you're talking about one. might be the only one where I had to like retake it. But there's also no penalties for retaking. Yeah. Like you can just take. You just like wait for the quiz and then you see what the right answers are and you take it again. Yeah. You so could like only spend the time if you have to. Yeah. Pretty much. And then the one I took that had quizzes in it. So while you were watching it, it would say, "This is time for audience participation." And you'd have to take the quiz then. Yeah, that was my night. Sounds fun. I compulsively wanted to write a Go command line utility yesterday. So I started on it, but I didn't have time to finish it. But I wrote a um, emoji weather command line program like uh, almost a year ago now. Uh, and part of it is uh, caching. It caches for an hour. So if you call the command with a zip code, it shows you emoji, uh, like a little sun or something, and then um, the current temperature. And if you call it again within the same hour with the same arguments, it will just return the same thing because the weather probably didn't change in the past hour. Uh, and I do that because I like to put it as part of um, my TMUX status bar, or you could put it as like your command prompt. And I don't want to make an API request every time I you know refresh that or open a new command prompt or press enter. Um, so I was like, oh, I should probably... So I started writing another utility that also needed caching for Wonderlist. So I use Wonderlist and I... It has like some smart lists, but I really just want one list that is like everything that if it's assigned to somebody else, I don't want to see it. If it um, is past due, I do want to see it. And if it's starred, I want to see it. And if it's assigned to me without a due date, I want to see it. Um, so I wrote a utility on the command line to do that. And I also started to add caching to it. And I was like, I could probably make a uh, command that does this by itself. So I did like a proof of concept, just piping a command through through Go. Um, and then I was reading about like the IO library in Go to see how I could, uh, it'd probably be pretty easy to write cause I already have a lot of the code for it, but I want to do it like correctly, <laughs> like make sure it, um, make sure it streams output if it's not returning the cache version and try to make it as, as a, as a Go programmer would write it and not just how I want to like hack it together. So you're building a caching sort of pluggable thing for both? command line clients is that what you're saying no no it's a it is a command okay. so so you would you would say like uh right now the command is called cash out because you're caching output um but you'd say like cash out 15 for 15 minutes or something and then um the command you want to run like get the weather and given the same arguments and if it has already run before it will just return that output for 15 minutes no matter how many times you run it so I don't know. And I, I did it on a, I started to do it on live coding again yesterday. And again, somebody pointed me towards a piece of documentation for something I was stuck on. So it was pretty cool. Are you talking to your uh, stream yet? No, I haven't taken the time to set up Soundflower either. 
I also have not upgraded to El Capitan yet. Don't. I regret it, I think. Yeah, you always <laughs> regret upgrades, though. Well, no, I have some weird issue now where sometimes when I type in C-Shell, it just lags and spikes my CPU, and I have no idea why. Yeah, I tried it with or without Tmux. I tried Bash instead of Z-Shell. Like, somehow my terminals are all messed up. Don't use Z-Shell. I just said I tried to use Bash. Oh. <laughs> and also, Z-Shell is better. But... <laughs> use Fish. I used to think, well, don't use the thing. <laughs> if it hurts, helpful. don't do that. Have any of you tried Fish? I think I, I I set up a shell with it on C9, but I haven't I haven't gone through. I think I have that bookmark, or there was an open source bridge talk on it or something on on shells and specifically fish. Yeah, so that's a thing to check out. Yeah, I was having a. I tried it and then she me didn't work too well, so I quit right away. But it seemed nice, nice auto completion. You use Bash and iTerm, Justin? Uh, yeah. Max? Okay. Yeah, Z shell is probably cool. I just haven't, I haven't seen anybody use Z shell and been like, I'm, I'm missing that, whatever that is. Like, I have auto completion for most things. I think the auto completion is generally better. I've heard you, you can, uh, you can have functions that have auto complete. So when you're writing a function in the shell, you can like, uh, I forget what token you put for auto complete, but it'll just like you could say like, oh, I can like alias like uh, SM to like run specs in my models directory. And then you could say like, oh, this uh, this is the directory you want to autocomplete. You want to do like things that match spec models, something underscore spec, uh, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I haven't played with the bash completion stuff, but I know you can write your own. I do use the uh, the git bash completion that ships with um, git. At least when you, when you brew install it, it comes with it. I guess it'd be nice to have like rails or rake completion. Can they do rake completion? Um, you'd have to like load yes. your entire rake file first. Or your rake. Yeah, to... I think it's slow though. It can be. I think it caches it. There's a, a I use oh my Z shell and it gives optional packages that do some heavier things. And uh, one of them's like Rails and uh, auto completion. How many different rake commands do you run? That you need uh, DB migrate. <laughs> DB schema. I run a lot of DB commands, I guess. I guess it's not like rake files, also like make files. So you went a few years without working on a database, right? And now you work in a database backed app. That's true. How do you like it? Uh, <laughs> it's nice that all the um, the application's data is local. Uh, so it makes it a little easier, I think, to reason about like the state of the world when there only is one state of the world. Uh but it can also be uh, a little slow to run tests because we write a lot of tests at the database because Active Record. Um, because Active Record, you can yep. just yeah. Uh, so, but it's not terribly slow because we don't write any tests that are that are like browser tests. We don't write acceptance tests or feature tests. We just write unit tests. Um, I guess they're a misnomer to call them unit tests. To be more like model tests, but. Right, unit tests, model tests, controller tests, and uh, we have some routing specs that just check like the full request response cycle for some of our our tooling, uh, like to make sure like we don't break integration with Packer or Vagrant or Terraform in Atlas. Uh, but I like it. I heard Len say uh, maybe like a year and a half ago on a project we were on that he he wishes instead of like calling out to this external API that we saved the desired state of what we wanted in the database and then told that API to reflect that. 
Uh, and I think that's what we're doing now, and it feels kind of nice. Do you know what I mean, Len? I have no idea. Are you talking about just Factory Girl? <laughs> no, 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 no. I, yeah, I remember were, this. Yeah, yeah. Like, you you were saying like we were calling out this external service for this app we were writing, and it would sometimes fail, and it would sometimes not do the right thing. So the state of the world was kind of held in that external API. Um, and you had said that you wish we just wrote to a database locally what we wanted the state to be, and then kind of um, not quiesced, but like made that true in some background jobs. That wasn't for testing. I thought that was just a better architecture. For no, I, I know. I know. Yeah. That's what I was saying. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I think that's kind of like what our architecture is right now. Like we have a database where it's like the point of truth and the uh, API and front end are all on Rails too. But all the services just get, uh, they get requests from Rails to do things and then they query Rails um, when they're done. So like the state always comes back to the database in Rails. So in Len's example, which would be the source of truth, your local database or the API's data? In what we were working on before, it was the API's data. But in Len's, the one thing he wanted to do would, would be in the database, right. in, 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 in local into Rails. But what if uh, someone edits through the API and doesn't edit through your app? Does then, then do you overwrite it? or? Well, they're, they're, they're the same thing, same thing. Okay. Like nobody would be editing the database directly. They'd be editing it through some kind of API or, or user action, right? Yeah, but what if, say, someone built another app that <clears throat> used the API that your job used to get to send data from your database to the the like company's API? Um Yeah, we don't we don't have any endpoints that are public. That are no that are private, okay. I should say. Like we have like internal only, but they do the same thing no matter who calls them. Yes, you're not like writing an endpoint like for an API, an internal worker that is only for that thing. You're writing an API that is like, do this thing with this data. Mm-hmm. And then anybody could use that for whatever purpose. But anyway, I think we're on different pages or something. <laughs> yeah, I was more talking about the example. It sounds like you're saying like if somebody else uses the database directly, but we don't do that. Okay. Don't do that. Anywho... <laughs> what are you all working on? I've been working on the recently. book. Oh yeah, the hiring get hired. Yeah. Oh, Pam gave a sweet workshop last week at work. Oh um, yeah. On how to uh, pick a topic for giving a talk. It was well yeah. attended too. Yeah, about like fifteen people. All all credit goes to to Jess Evans though. So I took this workshop. She did it for Philly Pug last year in kind of a road to PyCon workshop to get to encourage more people from especially like from Philadelphia and new speakers to to submit to PyCon. Um, and it, so I, I messaged her and asked for her material. And uh, coincidentally, she was uh, giving it the same week, so she'd already been you know looking at it. Um, so she sent it along, and it went well. Sounds very meta, like. You were thinking about what to what kind of talk to give, and then you were going to give a talk about what kind of talk you should give. There's actually a part in the workshop where you're going over, you know, that there's these there's different kinds of talks. There's tutorials. There's yeah, aggregated knowledge, kind of like research, like that you can you can give a talk solely by you know I was interested about this thing and I went and learned a whole bunch about it and so I wrote a talk on it that is allowed. Uh, and then after going over them, I you say and this talk <laughs> consists of these three components. 
that's it's cool. very it's very meta because this talk itself is an example of a talk and it like follow it also follows this pattern are you going to give it again or can you link to jess's slides uh she doesn't they they aren't public on the internet so uh i'd have to i don't know you can like message her and <laughs> see if she wants to share them because uh, i i wouldn't share her content without her permission uh so but I mean, and also really, it's one of those, it's one of those workshops that is a workshop. uh, And you, like the slides are not as, as helpful as actually going to the thing. So up to her if she wants to, to share it. Uh, But yeah, I'll probably do it again at work. um, Because it was, it was requested again for other people. But yeah, you end up, the thing though, that I'd be interested in, Jervon, is that since you can tell me this is, you know, if this, of the people who would, you know, I mean, that'd be interesting to know for everyone who attends the workshop, but you, you generate a lot of ideas, but whether you actually turn them into a talk is a different thing. That's why I think like you could almost have like, you could probably like create a whole semester's worth of content related to, you know, leading up to technical talks because it is, you know, it's just a form of public speaking and you totally teach public speaking courses like that. Right. But, but generating ideas is just one thing. And like part of the, I mentioned in the workshop is I was like, I'm not, so the, so Write Speak Code actually does have some of their content open source. So I can drop links to that. Uh, so they have a own your expertise workshop that they do and their, their content is on GitHub. So at least some of it. So you can kind of go through and what they're attacking in their content for own your expertise and some of their speaking things is they do some of the I I don't think they they don't do idea generation the same way that Jess's workshop does but they deal more with the because even before you think before you actually take those ideas and turn into a thing you have you have to get over the the mental and emotional hurdle of seeing yourself as someone who can and has a right to be in front of other people talking about a technical topic and so their workshop deals more with that side, kind of the a confidence gap sort of deal. So I, I'll drop a link to just the GitHub rep, uh, repo uh, or sorry, org itself. And there's the the speak. So WSC 2015 speak repo has the resources for speak day because write speak code is a three day conference that has write speak and code spoiler. Uh, hopefully that's not surprising. Uh, and then I think there was also some own your expertise somewhere, but maybe in WSC resources, things like that. So just poke around their GitHub and you'll find a lot of stuff. They have the last three years curriculum, essentially. Awesome. So I've always thought about this, but it was good to hear you say it, that there are certain types of talks uh, and you described um, each type like uh, explaining something or talking about your research. It'd be nice to, if there were examples on best practices on presenting each type of talk. There definitely Um, are. That's what I mean is like, that's so much, that's so much more content though. Yeah. Like, you know, like you could do a whole class just on that on, or you could even do a session on just like, let's all write a tutorial. Remember like we did like, did you all ever do this exercise, writing exercise in school where you learn about how to writing and tutorial writing and you uh, have to like write a tutorial on how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and, you know, people get stuck because you didn't tell them to open the peanut butter jar and so therefore they can't move forward, <laughs> things like that. Did that in um, programming class, not writing class. You did that in programming class? I did it in writing class. Although it was in science rooms, so maybe it was a trap. Uh, <laughs> could have been a trap by a clever science teacher. But 
But yeah, so you definitely could like go over this and have examples and, you know, possible pitfalls and, you know, you could do a whole a whole section on live coding and don't, don't do, do it. it. <laughs> don't I do it. I love live coding. I mean, if you're I've good at it. Yeah. No, I mean, yes, yeah, the caveat. And I've seen way too many people bomb it. I think, and I also think that what people think will be interesting when they're live coding is easily solved by preparation. So it's actually not solved by live coding. It's solved by writing the thing out and then uncommenting it because sorry, not sorry is not interesting to watch you misspell object <laughs> or, you know, append or whatever. I guess I, I don't, I don't I like learn live... anything from that. <laughs> I guess I don't like live coding, but I like live demos. Oh, I yeah. guess that's maybe different. Oh, definitely. Yeah, that's a, that's the thing. It's just very different. Like they they are not the same. No one ever has to live code. <laughs> I, li- I live coded a makefile once, Pam, for lightning talk. I think that that's probably accessible. <laughs> <laughs> it was like ten lines. Yeah, I think if you can't, if you if you in particular is a makefile evangelist, you would have to be fired. <laughs> I always found that weird that in the Microsoft community, you're kind of expected to live code. So when I started speaking, I would always live code. <laughs> really? It's just a yeah. standard thing? Visual but Studio. Pretty common, yeah. Well, I, don't, I don't know why, but what makes a difference. But I mean, that's actually, I, like Justin, you were just saying Visual Studio. It also, I think it does matter what, because it matters what editor you use. Because when people are using just a simple text editor, that's one of the reasons why they F up everything is because then misspelling and everything. But if you're using an IDE or you otherwise are, act- are you know highly skilled with your editor, and you have a bunch of things in your registers or something, then then it's a bit better. But well, yeah, I was gonna, bit, I was honestly, say the, though, if everyone's live coding, you probably really shouldn't because then <laughs> you're going to be a little bit different, you know? I was going to say the opposite, that if you're just using a simple text editor, it's better because the code is full screen as large as you can get it. Whereas I've seen multiple talks, people using um, Eclipse or Visual Studio or IntelliJ IDEA um, where they have like, a third of the screen is like their normal editing font, like 14 point, and it's taking up like a third of the screen. And then the rest of the screen is just like buttons and Chrome and console logs and not very fun to watch somebody code in that. Like your projector is 1024 by 768. Like make sure that the code you're writing is taking up that entire space. Or don't live code, like Pam said. Yeah, it's so much work uh, when I've done it because you need to do it like... 20 or 30 times to make sure you basically have all the code you're going to write, like scripted out. And then, and then or commit it. If to- you're do- yeah. <laughs> or if you're doing that, you could, yeah, There's, you could do any other things. Like, I think you were about to say commit and tag it. Yes. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I did that before where tags. I had, where I had tags that were numbered. And then I had wrote this, uh, bash alias that was called next. That would just like check out the next tag, um, and show the diff. So Did you forget that you had to do that at one point and then make changes? And then when you ran next, it was like, can't go to the next one? No, I made sure that I okay. had a had a working copy before I went on stage. And then I decided not to do it at all, and I just did one little thing. But I was going to say, if you're going to live code, commit your final product to Git, and then you can see in the diff, preferably in your editor, what, what is different from what you expected to write. Mm. I did that for my Elixir live coding a few months ago. It would be nice for your editor to... Um... So when you're sharing, showing code, instead of like putting a snippet in gist or in the keynote, you could open your editor and focus on, say, lines one to three and blur everything out. That'd be a cool plug-in. You, Maybe could, make... sl- you could just select it. Yeah. 
I guess that's what visual selection could be, but you can still see the rest of things. Uh, there's so much work that needs to happen when presenting code on slides. Or you could do that, uh, you could like record your keystrokes or the file and then you just like hammer on the keyboard and it types automatically. <laughs> Have you ever seen that? I've not seen it, the keystrokes, but I've seen people record what they did and replay uh, and pretend to type. Yeah, there, there's um, there's some utility that will record your keystrokes and then it will just play them back whenever you press any key. Uh, so you can just kind of, like I said, hammer on the keyboard and it will type. Mm. So, you, so you kind of have like a, a more natural flow of like you're talking and then typing and, and explaining what you're doing and you can control the speed, but it's all scripted. So, last week we tried a new tool called Zencaster. Uh huh. Do we want to talk about what's new about them, or like what our new process is? So I use Zencaster when I, I was I guested on another podcast last week, and they also use Zencaster. Which podcast? It's called Developer on Fire. It's a it's a fairly new podcast, and I, I think he's doing a, a good job. It's one of those. It's it's an interview podcast, so there's always an interview. Um. I'd actually, I'd recommend one that came out recently uh, with Linda Rising. That was really good. So was this person originally using Zencast or did you su- uh, suggest that? Oh, no. It's it's part of their, their flow. Uh, cool. Did, did they talk about it at all? Yeah. Well, I don't know. If, so, I mean, the, the episode will come out in a few weeks. I think we did talk about it a bit uh, because, you know, po- podcasting. But uh, I think I, I don't know if it'll be in the show, but I was asking about like, oh, how long have you been using it and what have you? And he said that I think it's it, like it's currently free, question mark. Like, I guess Len, you'll know this. But um, I think the so I think Dave, the podcaster, said he actually interviewed the Zencast person on his podcast. Oh, cool. So Very meta. Yeah, so Zencaster is just a recording tool. You get a link and uh, you press record, and it doesn't actually send the audio over. Uh, I, I don't even know where it stores that like interim MP3 file. The cloud, <laughs> I guess, <laughs> right? Uh, but then when we're done with the call, it just uploads like a separate MP3 file for each of us to Dropbox, which I think made the episode sound a lot better, and I was able to fix a lot of parts where we talk over each other. And I, I could just choose uh, like one person's track and mute everybody else. Uh, so in that regard, it was a lot better sound, but I also spent a lot more time editing. You mentioned that you like hand normalized each track. Yeah. Um, I'm going to try to not do that next time. Do you li- definitely like it more than this type of workflow? I think so. I mean, the nice thing about Skype, uh, how we used to just record our Skype calls is that Skype does a lot of that normalization in the background, so I wouldn't have to as much. With this, getting the uh, recording straight from our mics, I had to do all that normalization manually. So if we are a little farther from the mic or talking a little quieter, that's all to be fixed. So yeah, I, I dropped the link. So I dropped the link to the episode with the Zencaster person in oh, the cool. show notes. Uh, and it looks like like he definitely talks about Zencaster. And I thought that it actually sounds sounds like you, Justin, because he, you know, he started his he had a baby on the way and like changed his life a bunch and moved to Zencaster, like started Zencaster. Except that he's successful. <laughs> I just mean like you, you. I don't know. I just, I think it's cool how you you move to HashiCore and oh, that's true. your life and stuff. Like just because lots of changes are happening doesn't mean you can't make other positive changes that make everything better. 
Awesome. Yeah, I'm excited to listen to that episode. And yours. Thanks. Yeah, I think it, I mean, he said, I I think it'll come out in a week or two. So uh, I guess a a bummer about it would be that it won't, it probably won't come out. I did briefly mention, so I'm speaking at All Things Open next week. And I think I briefly mentioned that, but I tried not to go into it too much because of, you know, turnaround time. Hey, Len. Yeah. I saw a new weather app for iOS. It's called Sunshine. And I thought of you because you hate Dark Sky because you think it's inaccurate. So this one is called uh, Sunshine, and it is, I guess, kind of like Waze for weather. It is user-submitted conditions. That's kind of genius. So and so instead of like using uh, satellite and radar data, it uses technically ground data. But that sounds like there's a delay. Like people are just going to tell me that it is that it is currently raining. And then you'll be like, that is you'll be like, I know that. <laughs> No, the nice thing about dark sky is you get alerts saying like, "Oh, it's going to rain in ten minutes." Oh wait, but but so when it says the currently raining, I get I have to make my my dad joke that my dad actually makes, which is when I ask what the weather's like and I'm just like sitting on the couch, he he would say, "Hold on, let me check the eyewitness weather," and then he goes outside <laughs> and then he tells me what the weather's like. <laughs> That's pretty great. Feel free to steal that. <laughs> I actually love Dark Sky. The problem that I was having was like, I think it was like last winter, uh, they were constantly wrong with what type of participation there was. Uh, Precipitation. (laughs) Participation. Uh, Precipitation. Because I think they averaged together all these sources and there was one that was just wildly off. So everyone would be like, oh, it's 31 degrees. And like, it was like the Canadian Weather Service or something. It was like, it's 40 degrees. So it would kind of tip it over to be uh, raining instead of snowing. And it was just always wrong. You know it's precipitating. It's true. You live in Seattle now, it's always raining. So dark sky could just say it's raining and always be right. Yes. I had to turn off my alerts last week because my, my watch kept buzzing that uh, light rain was starting and stopping. <laughs> can you can you control that? Like you only want to hear about heavy rain? Yeah. Yeah, it's like heavy rain or like thunderstorms. So I just, I just upped it to heavy rain. Cool. Dark Sky also uh, sends you push notifications in the morning now and tells you the weather for the day. Yeah, I get my morning alert. Super useful. 7 a.m. So I'm in the app right now and it has GPS on my current location. It has a little yellow plus that's pulsating. So I click it. It says, what's the weather? And I, I can click clear. And then it says, how does it feel outside? And I'll say brisk. And you send it. And then it gives you a little uh, piece of feedback, plus three points. And then you have like a ranking. <laughs> I'm a rookie. How much did it cost? It's free. Ooh, I'm num- number three in the top sunshiners in my area. I couldn't, I couldn't find many people using it locally because it shows like, I guess it only shows for about an hour because I did it like over an hour ago and it, that one doesn't show up anymore. But if you could like see on a map, like who, it, it kind of like randomizes your location a little bit. So it's not like privacy invading but it shows um other avatars of other users that have reported weather somebody just reported weather in uh south philly in maniunk so yeah i was really excited to tell you about that lens so you should try it there's no way i ever want to report the weather but you can get reports of the weather of what it currently is that's not not useful yeah but what if you're inside and you look at it Maybe it's smart enough to like use the weather patterns to predict what it's going to be. I don't know. I'm going to try it for a week or so and see how it goes. It's not intrusive. The Wired article was, Clever app turns everyone into a roving weather reporter.
Do they ban you if you just like troll them and, and lie about the weather? You could try. Let me know what happens. I was thinking about if you found their <laughs> API endpoint. But you could just do it on the screen, right? Although well, you, you can't do it more than once, like an hour or so. Okay. But yeah, you should try that and let us know how it goes. So we never got around to talking about Pam's links. The things that I want to talk about instead of iPhones. <laughs> Sunshine probably is for Android too. Is it? I don't know. Hopefully. <laughs> the bold statement. So I there was a follow-up from a previous thing that we talked about where I talked about the open source hardware summit and then I got a blinky thing. And also I got a lot of hardware things and I wanted to, I said that I was going to do a thing with them and I made, I sent, I tagged Justin, um, but I made a blinky thing with Turing and complete logo. So I don't know if I'd shown it to the rest of y'all. No, I don't think you showed it to me. But yeah, so I can drop the link for that. It's my, it's on my Instagram. I don't know if you listen to the podcast, don't follow me. I don't. <laughs> it's my Instagram. Just watch the video if you want to see the blinky thing. But uh, you like throw it through the air and you can program it. And the software for it, it's actually pretty terrible. But, you know, plus and minuses, that software that's really terrible is open source. So I'm tempted to fix it. But since it's written by artists, it's horrible in a C++. So per a lot of software written by artists. But yeah, so I, I made the blinky thing, do a thing. Uh, other things I wanted to talk about. There was a, a read that came out last week. So it's not not timely anymore. But uh, it's September Forever on Vice that about the the eternal September of the internet, which some people might know about. I didn't. I, did. uh, that, I don't. Okay, cool. Because yeah, I I was you know like a small child uh, when apparently the September that never ended happened. But so that the internet used to be a very you know a very privileged place a very you know like it's hard to get access to it etc and so but every september a whole new class of college students got on the internet and so there was kind of the you know everyone knew that september was always terrible because there would be lots of noobs showing up kind of like i think it's comparable to being a member of the gym and having january you know (laughs) like if you lift or you you know you work at a gym you dread january because there's a lot of people who show up and are you know gung-ho about and a few of them will stay, but most of them won't. Um, but they're, but in any case, they don't know gym etiquette and everything, and they're really annoying. Anyway, but then in 1993, America Online uh, like started getting people on the internet, and so it was a September that never ended. So it's an interesting. It's kind of a long read, but it's an interesting thing to think about, especially in like the history of the internet and people who. Because I, I do hear from people who, you know, do that thing where they're like, oh, but it used to be so great. And I just want them to shut up, uh, to put it very lightly. And because it doesn't matter how you think things used to be. It matters how things are. Back in my day. So, yeah. So, sh- shut up. <laughs> I have very little patience for nostalgia. So, but so you know, I don't know. Now anyone feel free to call me out when I'm nostalgic about something. But <laughs> but especially when people are like, well, you know, back in my day, we used to, you know, like wire our own, you know, LAN and whatever, like whatever, like good for you, like who cares? Um. So so I think it's interesting because in terms of like kind of the you know the trolling culture of the internet and things, people talking about it, that it's all it's all related to how the internet started. That it was this you know gated elite thing and 
Now it's not, but people still want to pretend that it is, but it's not. So I thought that was interesting and a thing that we could talk about, but it's also probably time for picks. <laughs> so. Well, I just want to say that um, the closing keynote of HashiConf was uh, Luke, I don't know his last name. He's the creator of Puppet and uh, runs the Puppet company, whatever they are called. Um, Puppet Labs. I think it might be Puppet. Pu- Puppet Labs. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he was saying how, uh, people get nostalgic about like, well, uh, you know, when I was, you know, in high school, I built a computer and our kids will never build computers. And, uh, no one's stopping you from helping your kid build a computer. Well, no, he was saying that like, he didn't, uh, you know, get his first computer until he was, I don't know. I think he said like 12 or 13 or 15 or something. And then uh, he's saying that his kids are seven and they've already played games with people over the internet. And he was like, I think they're winning. <laughs> yeah. Like, like who, yeah. Who, who cares that they've never built a computer? Also, they still can. Like that's, <laughs> yeah, that's also a thing. Like when people are like, you know, it was so great before we had dishwashers. Like you can still wash dishes by hand. No one's stopping you, you know? But, you know, I don't, I don't for know most who, of us, I don't can know who use says dishwashers. That. I don't know. I, I have strong <laughs> feelings about people's silly nostalgia. People who are like, oh, it was so much more idyllic in past decades. Like, do you remember, remember, like, you know, polio? <laughs> like, I have, I have rants about nostalgia. <laughs> Nostalgic for before medical technology. Yeah, like, remember, remember when we were just like, you know die randomly and have no idea why it happened <laughs> you know remember that i was really wish that were still today <laughs> i watched a smithsonian thing yesterday on how king tut died if you have smithsonian channel you should watch it he did not get murdered which you as... do because you work for the tv company <laughs> i do <laughs> it's probably online somewhere yeah um and aol got bought for 4.4 billion dollars that is insane that aol is still a thing I guess they have all that their blogs and stuff, right? Uh, customer data, maybe. Uh, There's still an absurd number of people that use AOL dial-up. Really? Yeah, it's just depressing. Interesting. Maybe they use DSL now since Verizon bought them. Picks. Yeah. So is that your picture, Von? What? This, no, no, so no. I have a better pick. <laughs> no, no. It was fun to learn. Uh, they they could do 3D. Uh, Shit, what's the word? Um, there goes our explicit tag. <laughs> where, where? I the... even tried to not. <laughs> <laughs> really, we we don't we shy against explicit stuff. I was I was joking. Uh, yeah, but still. Um, what's the word when the coroner looks at you? Autopsy. Uh, <laughs> I, you, if you the can... coroner <laughs> looks at you, then I think it means you're dead. <laughs> so they can do three D autopsies on skeletons now. And that's pretty cool. Look at uh, basically like zoom in or kind of uh, yeah, that's pretty cool. Sounds like an episode of Bones. You know what? Now thinking about it, they could have just made it up. It could just be a three D rendering, but hopefully they didn't. Um, all right. So my pick, uh, all uh, my picks are uh, a Google Tech to- uh, Google Author Talk by Nick Offerman. Uh, he talks about his book. Uh, and then he sings songs, and he's pretty funny. And my music pick is a song I heard yesterday, which would be Sunday, called The Frankfurt L by The American Dream. The song isn't a great song, but it's a song about the subway line, which is close to me. 
So I enjoyed it. Those are my picks. Uh, Pam, do you have a pick? Yeah, so my pick is going to be Erica Joy's FFFFFF Diversity, which is an article that if you have not read it, you need to read it because it's important. So Erica Joy is a former Google engineer, now Slack engineer, who has been outspoken about diversity. And so she wrote this article very recently and it's been making the rounds. So if you have not read it, you should read it. Uh, Justin, do you have a pick? I did. Uh, what was it? Good question. <clears throat> Why don't you tell us? Oh yeah, my pick is uh, I was in Portland for HashiConf and I went to a bookstore, which I never really do. Uh, went to Pal's Books. That was cool. Uh, Pal's is cool. It was cool. And I bought a book, uh, cookbook uh, called The Food Lab, Better Home Cooking Through Science. And I, I believe good things about that. Me too. I think I heard about it on uh, Beats, Rye, and Types. I think they picked uh, it or recommended it uh, at some point. Maybe that's how I heard about it. For like uh, basic reading for people, uh, both for... I should probably link to that episode too. It was a good episode. Uh, where they link to like things you should read to learn about computer science or food. Uh, yeah, I've been I've been making some, some things based on... I don't want to say recipes because there are some recipes, but there's also a lot of... There's there's more explaining why things happen in food than recipes per se. Uh, I especially enjoyed the section on umami flavor and umami bombs and uh, how the best way or the easiest way to get umami flavor is with MSG. And, <laughs> and he was saying how people are squeamish about it, but he keeps a little uh, jar of it next to the salt cellar. Well, that was pretty funny. Uh, so yeah, the food lab is pretty good by uh, J. Kenji Lopez. All I said him, but I don't actually know who the author is. So that's my pick. So speaking of nostalgia, my pick is Transformers Devastation. And if anyone else is old enough to have grown up with the Transformers, uh, this game is basically like playing the '80s cartoon, uh, and it's pretty great. It's out for every different system. Cool. So uh, show notes are at Turing.cool slash sixty eight. Follow us on Twitter at Turn Cool, and I'll talk to you next week. Thanks. Bye. Bye.